Hi there, Harry from Witch here. Our research has found that millions of families are skipping meals to survive the cost of living crisis. And our figures show that over 8 in 10 people in the UK are having to make adjustments to save money on food. With the price of essential products soaring, we believe that supermarkets have to step up to the plate to help us all. That's why we've launched the Affordable Food for All campaign, calling on the big supermarkets to take action and make a real difference to communities across the UK. If you agree and would like to join our campaign, then sign our petition at witch.co.uk slash affordable food and use the hashtag affordablefoodforall on social media. Thank you. When life gives you questions, which get answers. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. So for those on a salary of £20,000 a year, they're going to save almost £150. If you're on thirty grand, then that goes to £350 a year. If you're on fifty grand, that goes up to £750 a year, or close enough. So these are really big savings. The change to, to allowing people to pay into multiple different versions of each ISA in a tax year it was a bit of a weird rule, so it's good that they've addressed that. Mm-hmm. But realistically, I don't think that's going to kind of rock anyone's world. It's not going to massively change outcomes for lots and lots of people. Whichever tipple you're, you're fond of, it's, mm. it's good news. Um, as all alcohol duty will continue to be frozen until the 1st of August 2024. This week, we've assembled earlier than usual to bring you coverage of today's autumn statement from the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. So to start us off then, here's how Mr Hunt ended his statement. In the face of global challenges, we've halved inflation, reduced our debt and grown our economy. As a country, we're sticking to a plan that's working and this autumn statement for growth will attract £20 billion additional business investment a year in the next decade bring tens of thousands of people into work and support our fastest growing industries in a package which leaves borrowing lower, debts lower and keeps inflation falling. We are delivering the biggest business tax cut in modern British history, the largest ever cut to employee and self-employed national insurance and the biggest package of tax cuts to be implemented since the 1980s. An autumn statement for a country that has turned a corner, an autumn statement for growth, which I commend to the House. And here's some of the response from Labour's Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves. Mortgages rising, taxes eating into wages, inflation high with prices still going up in the shops public services on their knees and too many families struggling to make ends meet. As the sun begins to set on this divided, out of touch, weak government, the only conclusion that the British people will reach is this. After 13 years of Conservatives, the economy is simply not working and despite all the promises today, working people are still worse off. 
So we heard both sides of the coin there and today we'll be unpicking the biggest announcements and what they could mean for you and your money, covering plenty of advice as we go. And for this we've assembled a top team of experts here in the Witch Studio. Sat alongside me is Jenny Ross, editor of Witch Money magazine and Sam Richardson, deputy editor of Witch Money. And also with us is Tom Selby, analyst and head of retirement policy at AJ Bell. Hello all. Hello. Hello. Thank you all for joining me today. So can we start then with a little bit of context, the backdrop to today's announcement? How's the economy looking now and how does it compare to where we were at at the last budget in spring or even last last year in, in autumn? Well, I think even if you watched today's speech with the sound off, you would have got a pretty good sense of the central message that the Chancellor was trying to convey, which is that basically things are looking up, um, economically speaking. You know, inflation is way down on where it was at the beginning of the year, but of course it is all relative, isn't it? I mean, if you rewind 12 months ago, the autumn statement last year, I think, you know, there was some some quite powerful language used. I think Jeremy Hunt referred to, you know, we're facing into an economic storm here. We're going to have to take really tight measures to deal with the soaring cost of living. Times are hard. Whereas in the last um, in the last week or two, definitely since the um, latest inflation figure, the government got exactly the news that they they wanted, um, which is that inflation is way down on where it was. But of course, inflation being you know still at close to five percent, it means that prices are still going up. They're still up quite significantly on where they were last year. And they are still quite a way off the um, the government and the Bank of England's target of 2%. Slightly rosier picture there. Tom, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I think I think when you when you look at the the announcements today, that backdrop is kind of the key to to all of it. It's all about Rishi Sunak taking credit for the fact that inflation has dropped. Now you can debate whether or not he can take full credit for that. A lot of that goes down to the Bank of England and international factors. But I think as we build up towards a general election, possibly in summer next year, we're hearing, who knows? Um, I think what we're, what we're having set up here is, is Rishi Sunak saying the economy's better, we're going to start putting more money in your pockets naturally as we build towards that general election, then they'll be able to say we can continue doing the good work and you can trust us with the economy. So I think that's that's what we've seen the start of a process in today. And generally speaking, can we hear your reactions to what was announced, what was expected, what wasn't? Jenny, what did you make of it? Yeah, well, as as is the way nowadays with budgets and autumn statements, so much is trailed beforehand that there's you know very little that totally knocks your socks off in in the speech itself. So we were just saying there wasn't really anything that was completely out of the blue, um, but on certain announcements, maybe. Um, you know, the Chancellor was able to go further than we're expecting. So there were lots of rumours around national insurance um, being cut. I think um, a cut of two percentage points um, was perhaps more than a lot of people ha- had anticipated. Um, and I will obviously get into the nuts and bolts of that and, and what it means in, in a little while. Equally, we were saying, you know, there, there were maybe a few more surprises about what wasn't included, mm-hmm. inheritance tax being the big one that um, there was a lot of noise about um, last week. That all came to nothing. But generally, I think think, you know, it landed about where everyone expected with a few, you know, additions and uh, omissions either way. Well, let's dive a bit deeper into some of this now then. Sam, can you start us off with the main headline? Jenny's already mentioned it. It's national insurance cuts. Yeah, it's a big cut to national insurance. Uh, National insurance comes out of your pay packet before you receive the money. It's like income tax, but it's actually separate. 
And the main change is class one national insurance contributions, which is 12% of earnings between £12,570 a year up to £50,270 a year. At the moment, you get charged 12% of that. That's going to fall to 10%. And we're not even going to have to wait till April next year where most tax changes take place. It's actually going to fall on the 6th of January. And so that means that you'll get more money in your pay packet. Uh, so, Tom, I've shamelessly copied some numbers that your colleagues uh, helpfully put together <laughs> on exactly how much that will save people. So for those on a salary of £20,000 a year, they're going to save almost £150. If you're on thirty grand, then that goes to £350 a year. If you're on fifty grand, that goes up to £750 a year, or close enough. So these are really big savings. And Sam, there's also been a national insurance cut for the self-employed, who pay it differently, don't they? Yeah, so self-employed people pay Class 2 and Class 4 contributions. So the crucial thing to know here is Class 2 contributions is a flat rate you had to pay per week. They've been abolished. Very rare that we see what is effectively a tax be abolished. Mm -hmm. And Class 4 rates have been cut. This basically means a £350 saving over a year for an average self-employed worker. So, you know, similar savings for self-employed people that I'm sure will be very welcome. So this all sounds like great news. Is it all good news for our take-home pay then? This is obviously fantastic news for self-employed people's take-home pay. I think one of the key things to to recognise in terms of national insurance and why the government has gone for national insurance is, of course, because it's going for growth. So if you think of people over state pension age, they don't pay national insurance at all. So first of all, it won't cost the government as much money, perhaps, as an income tax cut because you've got a certain section of society who don't pay it. And also, ideally, it'll mean self-employed people, who Jeremy Hunt was very clear, he sees as being part of the engines for economic growth, and those who are paying national insurance will see a reduction in their bills. So it's all about encouraging more people to work. Yes, for, for workers and, and self-employed people alike, this this is not something to be to be sniffed at. But if you look at you know taxes on your income in in the round, I guess it's worth pointing out that um, the income tax thresholds remain frozen. Mm-hmm. They have been for getting off. It is years now, isn't it? And it's set mm-hmm. to be several several years more. So. Um, the impact of the um, much talked about fiscal drag um, will still be felt. So that's when, you know, tax thresholds are not moving up in line with with earnings. And so people are pulled into um, into higher tax brackets without them really even even being aware of it. So it's not um, a tax cut. Uh, sorry, it's not a tax increase in name, but a lot of people, millions of people will be paying more. And that will you know translate into billions of pounds more um, in the government's pocket. So uh, one number I saw basically said because of this fiscal drag, because the uh, tax uh, thresholds haven't been raised for so many years, workers will be just £2.68 a week better off due to today's giveaway. I think that would change depending on your annual salary, but it is important to recognise that they've taken quite a lot of extra tax from you over the years, so giving you this little bit back is not going to help that much. And so these national insurance cuts, they will affect millions of workers. But if you're a worker over state pension age or you're over state pension age, which is 66 at the moment, you don't pay national insurance, as Tom just mentioned. So this won't affect you. But there was another announcement today that will have a big positive impact on you. And that's to do with the state pension. Tom, what's happening here? 
So the government's decided to maintain the triple lock and crucially to use the average earnings figure from July that includes bonuses. Now, there there had been talks and rumours that perhaps the government would use a watered-down version of that earnings measure. So by stripping out the bonus payments, then it could have increased the state pension by 7.8% rather than 8.5%. Now, we were talking earlier, this feels like one of those stories that's potentially been strategically put out there by the government. They've clearly still got a fairly tight fiscal situation. And actually what they've managed to do here is engineer an announcement which feels like a big giveaway to pensioners. And actually it's just maintaining the triple lock policy that was in the 2019 manifesto. So it is very good news. If you look at the new state pension, that's going to go up to £11,500 now. The old state pension for people who reached state pension age pre-2016, a little bit a little bit lower, so just over £8,000. Um, one of the important things with the, the triple lock and something that's not always perfectly understood is that it only applies to those two elements of the state pension. So people who've reached state pension age prior to 2016 who may have had extra state pension entitlements, so things called SERPs or S2P, for example, those bits usually go up in line with inflation rather than with that earnings mm. figure. So mo- for lots of people, this will be a big boost, but not every part of the state pension will go up by 8.5%. And Tom, while we're on pensions, ahead of the mm. Chancellor's speech today, there was much talk about a so-called pension pot for life being mm. introduced. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this and why it's being proposed? The, the idea is at the moment, when you're automatically enrolled into a pension scheme, so that's when your employer picks a pension on on your behalf, which which they have to, um, because legislation tells them they have to. It, it's down to the employer to choose that scheme. So the employee has no say in whether or not they in which pension scheme they have. And so one of the challenges with that approach is the employee may not feel a particular amount of ownership with it. It also means that the people will build up lots and lots of pension mm. pots over their lives. There are various estimates, but some people reckon you might switch jobs 11 times throughout your career, mm. potentially build up 11 different pension pots. And the question is, how do you know where they all are and how do you combine them? We're all in that boat, aren't we? Yes, exactly. So one of the one of the ideas was to create this kind of online pensions dashboard, which would allow you to see them all in one place online, and that would help solve the problem. That's been delayed and delayed and delayed. We don't know when that's going to happen. And so this second idea that's been brought forward is rather than creating a dashboard or perhaps to complement a dashboard, you allow people to choose their own pension scheme and potentially default into their existing pension scheme. So when you move from one employer to another, you just keep the pension scheme that you had before. So you wouldn't build up different pension schemes as you go. It's, It's a neat idea in theory. There are quite a lot of barriers, I think, to actually making it happen. So at the moment, when you think about automatic enrolment, those reforms cover everyone from a corner shop to a multinational business. At the moment, you only have to link with one pension scheme. With this, you potentially be having to link with dozens of pension Mm. schemes, potentially hundreds of pension schemes. So it's an idea that's out there. In reality, it's likely going to be for the next government to decide whether it wants to do this or not. And we'll have to see who that is and, and what their view is. This is what I'm curious about, because on paper, it sounds like it's going to be no easier or quicker mm. to implement than the dashboard, which is in effect solving a ve- you know the same yep. problem ultimately. Mm. So do we really need it? <laughs> so I, I think that's a really reasonable question. Um, some, some would say yes, some would say no. Um, the, the, there's, an, there's an argument that this would, if it was brought in and if it all worked effectively, that it would stop the creation of new small pots. Clearly, the government's agenda is largely built around getting people to consolidate with these default schemes, which it then wants to invest in 
UK private equity and to drive UK economic growth. So that's the thing that's sitting behind this. I think in reality, if we were able to get pensions dashboards, there isn't a particular need for this. If people are able to locate all of their pensions, then they can consolidate all their retirement pots themselves. The key thing is having that connection between the person and their old pension pots. But from the government's point of view, it's better to have larger pension schemes, lots of people having their pensions consolidated into them, so then they can invest in private equity type vehicles, which they believe will drive economic growth. Now, whether that's the case or not is another question, but that's that's the, what the government believes. I'm, I'm pleased you mentioned the dashboard because it's something we've been talking about for years, I think, Jenny, on Absolutely the podcast. Um, so much fun. Do you, yeah. think, do you think it could live alongside the new Pot for Life? Yes, yes, yeah. it could. So you, 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 you would, if you create a Pot for Life, then you're stopping the, the flow of new uh, multiple pots coming into the UK market, but you're still going to have a whole stock of pots. You're going to mm. have a whole load of people who have multiple pots who True. potentially won't be caught by it. So I think dashboards, the work has been done by large sections of the industry. We're a long way down the track with legislation as well. So you could have both at the same time. I think it, it feels to me like the priority should be completing the dashboards project first, seeing mm. how that goes. And then if it feels like that's not working, potentially going back and looking at, at new ideas. But that's not always the way government and ministers work. Uh, yeah, and just a final point on the um, pension pot for life. From the point of view of consumers who say want their pension invested in a certain way, I think it's quite helpful. So say you don't want your pension invested in fossil fuels or arms. Mm. Supposedly, with being able to say to your employer, you have to pay my contributions into this pot, you'll get that much extra control. At the moment, you're slightly dependent on your employer to offer those sort of, say, ethical or green pensions. And if they don't, you can put your own contributions into a different pension, but you can't get those all-important employer contributions. So that's something that I would be looking forward to if this gets introduced. Well, we'll have to keep a close eye on that for potentially the next few years. Um, but before we dive into now, before we dive into ISAs, home buying and plenty more, let's take a quick break. <laughs> It's Grace here to tell you all about our new podcast at Which. It's called Get Answers and you can listen now on whatever platform you like. Me and co-host Harry will be with you every other Monday with episodes dropping each fortnight as we help you solve life's everyday problems. Whether it's getting the most from your weekly shop, finding travel hacks to save on your family holiday or simply learning the tricks that make your everyday life easier. And we'll be joined by the very best experts too. Just search Get Answers and subscribe so that you can catch our episodes as soon as they drop. Now, we've been talking about pension savings. Can we also bring in ISAs? Jenny, before the statement, some pretty big reforms were floated. Were they addressed in the autumn statement? Yes and no, mm. I guess is the answer. Um, ISAs didn't actually make it into the speech itself, but there was a lot of detail in the sort of you know follow-up documents. Um, the big problem with ISAs that, um, that many were hoping would be addressed by the Chancellor is just how flipping complicated it's mm. become over the years. It's, it's a real sort of Frankenstein's monster, monster of, a, of a savings landscape out there now. You've got six different types of ISA. You've got one main allowance of £20,000 per year. Um, you can save yeah, tax-free, um, split between any type of ISA. Um, but then the lifetime ISA has a different mm. allowance, which is 4000 
£4,000. Um, you've got all sorts of restrictions. Um, yeah, it's a bit hard to get your head around, really. So simplification was definitely long overdue. And yeah, fortunately, um, some of that has has been delivered. So um, a key uh, change that we'll see is that savers will soon be allowed to open and pay into multiple ICEs of the same type in a single tax year. So to give you an example of what that, how that is restricting people at the moment, you can open one type of cash ISA, say you decide to open an instant access ISA where you can get your hands on your cash immediately. But that would stop you from opening a fixed rate cash ISA, mm-hmm. which is a problem if you want to be, you know, taking advantage of the higher rates that are available on those types of products. So yeah, hopefully what that will do is, is yeah, make life easier for savers, first and foremost, um, but also maybe incentivize a bit of competition among providers, you see rates going up um, in tandem. And then you've also got um, some rule changes that will change the way that you can transfer money from one ISA provider to another. So instead of having to transfer the entire amount from provider A to provider B, which is very often the case at the moment, you can transfer, you know, bits and bobs and have it sitting Mm -hmm. with, with multiple providers. So I think I think those th- there were a few other bits of tinkering around the edges. I think those are probably the the top lines that are that are worth flagging. Um, I think there's probably a lot more that could have been done, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's a positive start. And Tom, I'll throw this question to you then. What do you make of these changes? Because I know AJ Bell had a long wish list of ISA reforms. So what differences might this make to anyone listening? And do you think there were some missed opportunities here? Pretty disappointing, um, Mm -hmm. I've got to say. Um, So we've been working with with government and industry for a while at at, at ideas that would radically simplify the landscape. So as Jenny said, we've got six different versions of ISAs at the moment. Mm -hmm. Nobody would create that landscape from day one. And so our hope was that this would be this autumn statement will be the kickstart of a process to really try to radically simplify what we've got. Um, the change to, to allowing people to pay into multiple different versions of ESA, each ISA in a tax year, it was a bit of a weird rule. So it's good that they've addressed that. Mm-hmm. But realistically, I don't think that's going to kind of rock anyone's world. It's not going to massively change outcomes for lots and lots of people. Um, allowing fractional shares in ISAs, so where you have a bit of a share rather than having to have the whole whole share. Again, that was a slightly odd rule, which feels like a kind of tidying up job. But what we were really hoping for here was the government to perhaps set out some of these changes that it could do by April next year, which seems to have been the driving force. What can we do by April? But then to say, this is what we see as being the long-term vision. This is how we could potentially simplify ISAs for the benefit of savers and investors for the long term. And Mm. we we seem to be missing that extra bit. It feels Mm. like essentially they've cherry-picked some things that they could do by April 2024. But I don't see anything here that particularly is going to make life easier for people who are engaging with ISAs for the first time. So a bit disappointing then, it sounds like, really. Well, Sam, now back to you, because I know you're potentially looking at buying a new home in 2024. Congratulations. Um, And this week, there were some predictions around stamp duty being cut, as well as help for people buying a home. What came up in the statement? Very little, to Mm. be honest. Uh, Let's start off with something that is very important to a lot of people, which is the local housing allowance. This basically affects how much people in housing benefits can get to help them. The local housing allowance had been frozen. It's now going to be raised because of rents. Rents going up almost, you know, everyone who's renting has had this experience recently. Uh, 6.1% in 12 months 
it's a number I have in front of me, but I know a lot of people who've had their rent cut by a lot more. Mm. So that's really important to people. However, there was basically nothing for first-time buyers in the statement. Uh, you know, there was some hopes around stamp duty cuts or exemptions. Well, that hasn't happened. There was the usual announcements on making it easier to build new homes. Uh, there was a particular one on converting existing homes into flats, making that easier. But that could take years to mm. play out. Uh, and the Office for Budgetary Responsibility, I think I've got that right, uh, <laughs> expects house prices to grow by just 0.9% this year and then fall by 4.7% next year so that might be the one kind of silver lining for first-time mm. buyers um, not so good for me because I've got to sell my current place first and definitely not good for someone who say is selling off investment properties um, or is downsizing in the hope of freeing up money mm. for retirement um, so yeah pretty disappointing picture again Another disappointment, a, little, a small run of disappointments in the second half. I'm sorry, we do have more positive things to come. <laughs> well, Jenny, can you wrap up then anything else we might have missed? There were, of course, some things we knew would be changing before the Chancellor stood up today. Yeah, I think the main one that was confirmed in advance of the speech was um, to do with the national living wage. So that is set to rise by almost 10% um, from £10.42 to £11.44 an hour. Um, that will kick in from April 2024 and is actually the biggest ever rise. Um, so that will that will make a difference of £1,856 a year for someone working full time on the minimum wage. Um, and then looking more broadly, so benefits for working age people, it's been confirmed that they will increase by inflation and that is inflation in September and that's significant because that's the higher rate of 6.7 percent it's since fallen in October to 4.6 percent so I think that you know that will be music to many people's ears so that includes things like universal credit um, and means-tested legacy benefits so things like personal independence payment um, and employment and support allowance. And then slight gear shift here to um, the so-called sin taxes. So um, anyone who, yeah, whichever tipple you're, you're fond of, it's, mm. it's good news. Um, as all alcohol duty will continue to be frozen until the 1st of August 2024. Um, slightly less positive news if you are a smoker. That's because rates on hand-rolling tobacco products will increase by inflation plus 12%. With other tobacco products, um, there'll also be an increase, but by different amounts. So that's um, re the retail price index or RPI plus 2%. Uh, and there are no changes to any other sin taxes so we're talking about the sugar tax here which has been the same basically for five years now so a bit of a mixed bag there on um kind of positive and slightly more negative things but moving on now then to things that were missed out tom there were a few things i expected to crop up based on predictions this week inheritance tax cuts the great british isa which i'm sure you can tell us about were you surprised by anything left up uh, i think the the gb isa stood out there have been large sections of certain parts of the financial services industry that had been been pushing for that so this mm. idea that potentially you would increase the ISA allowance and then that money would have to go towards UK stocks or UK funds it may be that that's something that's been been saved for the budget ne next year um, it may be that it's just been dismissed as not a particularly good idea there's lots of reasons why why I think that's not a particularly good idea it makes things more complicated it's not clear that that would 
encourage more growth in the UK if you're talking about investing in FTSE 100 companies. They're international companies with earnings overseas. So it's not going to help the UK in any particular way. So I'm hoping that's that's an idea that's been pushed to the to the background rather than something that's going to be reborn next year. Um, IHT, obviously one that everybody was expecting probably mm-hmm. we're going to get next year. And, and we were talking about first-time buyers. The, the Lifetime ISA is a product, if we're going to keep it within the, in the life the, 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 the ISA landscape, then let's improve it for the love mm. of god i mean it's the the, <laughs> the the early withdrawal charge is, has never made any sense to me the mm. the fact they haven't increased the property price makes no sense either um, mm. again hopefully that's something we'll see a little bit more on in the budget next year which again i think is is going to be soaked in politics okay and now then to finish can we go around the table in front of me so tom sam jenny given everything we've heard today in the autumn statement can you share any advice or takeaways for our listeners uh, yeah, so I'll kick off. Uh, I, we talked a bit about pensions dashboards and pot for life and this idea that lots of people lose track of their of their retirement pots. Now, we've got no idea when any of these reforms are going to come into play, but people are perfectly able to combine and consolidate their own pensions today. There's tools out there that can help you do it. There's a pension tracing service. Also, different providers have tools that can help you locate your old retirement pots. Lots of good reasons to do that. Much easier to manage. You can potentially lower your charges and increase your your choice and flexibility as well. So I think often you get these kind of big statements come around and everyone's kind of waiting for it to push them into action. Actually, people can take responsibility, take control of their finances today and pensions is is one area they could clearly do that. So I'm very excited about these ISA rules. Um, As we're saying, they haven't quite gone far enough, but being able to open and pay into multiple ISAs in the same tax year will be a game changer. So as we said, with cash ISAs, you'll be able to open both easy access and fixed rate cash ISAs within the same tax year. Perhaps move between different easy access ISAs if you're not happy with the rate you're getting. So that's a huge one. If you're an investor with your stocks and shares ISA, you'll be able to switch provider multiple times a year if you're not happy with the fees you're paying or the choice of investments you're getting. So I think, you know, if you're savvy, you can really make quite a lot of those new rules. But we will have to wait until April uh, before that all begins. Well, I hate to bring the tone down, guys, but I think it is I think it is worth pointing out that despite Jeremy Hunt's cheery mood earlier, the cost of living is going to continue to bite for millions of households and things aren't going to improve overnight. This is going to take an awful long time to, to work its way through um, through the, the economy. Um, so I guess the, the main message is just sit tight and keep doing what you're doing as well. All of the old, you know, chestnuts when it comes to, to saving money still apply um, in these in these tough times. So uh, insurance is, is is a cost that is really, um, really stinging people at the moment. Keep haggling, keep shopping around, um, saving. There are some pretty good rates out there at the moment as a result of the, the base rate being so high. So if you haven't switched account for a while, do check you're getting the best possible return on your cash because you need that now um, more than ever. Thank you, Jenny. Good to hear both sides of the coin there. This has been a bumper episode. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Well, a huge thank you again to Jenny, Sam and Tom for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch our new episodes as soon as they drop. For daily money news and advice, you can find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And we also have a free money newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. 
This episode of the Witch Money podcast was written by me, Lucia Ariano, produced by myself and Rob Lilly, and edited by James Rowe. Are you wondering if you can get a better mortgage deal and you're not sure where to start? Whether you're a first-time buyer or you're looking to remortgage, we're here to help you get answers. Just head to witch.co.uk for expert advice.